Well, good morning. We'll be in John chapter 12 this morning. We're going to continue our series, The Gospel According to John. And I want to thank the band and Ben for coming over from Fremont and helping us out this morning. It was great. And this morning, Pastor Harold was supposed to be up here. I'm filling in. Uh, He's battling a little bit of a bug this week, him and Kim. So pray for them. They'll be back next week. Uh, But I'm excited to jump into John 12 here. And you know, a question I was thinking about while thinking about this passage was, have you ever met someone who just, they don't really get it, and that it can be a lot of things. Maybe they don't get uh, what you're trying to explain to them, but maybe they're not good at getting social cues so they don't understand the situation they're in, no matter how clearly you explain it to them or how clearly you're trying to get them to understand what's going on. It's just kind of going over their head a little bit. And you know, uh, maybe it's uh, somebody that took a phone call while their mom was yelling at them, mad at them. Uh, I was in a situation like that once. I didn't do it. Uh, My brother did it. But uh, my my mom, she was an ER night shift nurse. And if you've met her, she's about 4'11". And everybody thinks she's really, really sweet and kind all the time. But she took care of us raising up and uh, put up with us as well as working midnights in an ER. So she could handle herself. And every now and then she would come home, you know, because she'd work a couple nights in a row. And and one of my siblings inevitably wouldn't have done something she asked. I always did everything she asked all the time. <clears throat> but, you know, one of my, my brother and my sister didn't do what they were supposed to. And this was one of those times. And she called a family meeting, which meant everybody sit down and listen to her tell you where my siblings messed up. And uh, this one included my dad and I think even the dog. You know, it was everyone this time that messed up. And she was uh, just letting us know what, what was not correct and how to fix it. And we all realize this is a moment just to listen and shake your head yes and whatever. You know, don't answer your phone if it rings. Like, I could feel mine vibrating in my pocket. I knew someone was calling, but I just hit end and, you know, hang up. I'll call whoever it is back later. But my brother, being about 11 or 12... And mind you, we didn't get phones till we were 15, my sister and I, but he was the youngest. So he had one younger than he should have and wasn't the wisest. And in the middle of my mom letting us know what was the problem, he picks up his phone and goes, hello? Uh, no, I can't go to Subway right now. <sighs> Brandon, he's still alive to this day. It's okay. Um, we didn't think he was going to be in the moment, though. We were all like, what are you doing? He didn't get it, right? He did not get from the social cues of, don't answer your phone when mom's mad at everybody, right? Um, for your sake and all of ours, please. He didn't get it. And that's a silly illustration, but we see this sort of issue play out today in the passage. We see Jesus trying to share something really serious, and the people just don't really seem to get it. They miss the whole point. In the events that we're we're coming up to in John, things are starting to move quickly. This is beginning the last week of Jesus' life here in chapter 12. So he's beginning to share his last public addresses to the public, and then he spends a few chapters sharing his last challenges to the disciples, and then we see the crucifixion and resurrection coming up later on. But as we jump into this passage in John 12, as you look at the f- first few verses, we see it pick up where we left off last week. The, the, the uh, raising of Lazarus back to life, an amazing miracle. Uh, and if you remember, Lazarus' sisters thought, oh, if Jesus would have just been there earlier, Lazarus never would have died. And we talked about how God's timing always works out better than our timing. And so we see Jesus back in Bethany just six days before the Passover. And the Passover is a big big festival that the Jewish people in Israel were commanded by God 
to one of three festivals they were commanded to observe every year. And the Passover was remembering that exodus from Egypt. When they left Egypt back in the Old Testament, uh, when they put the blood over the doorpost of the lamb and it spared their oldest child. And so they're remembering this, commemorating what God did for them back in Egypt. And so there's a lot of people here celebrating it and they're getting together with a lot of people. And that's where we see Jesus here in chapter 12. He's having a meal with Lazarus and Mary and Martha and some other people. And they're getting together for a meal and Mary does something unique. Martha was off serving and Mary takes a very expensive ointment or like a perfume and she does something unique with it. She washes Jesus' feet. And remember, this is kind of a shock because this is like an an expensive, expensive perfume. Anybody gone perfume shopping? You know, when guys look for cologne, typically I'm sure there's expensive guy cologne, but most of the time we get like a five-gallon bucket and it lasts for like ever and it's like three dollars. It's awesome. But like girls, the first time I went with my wife to somewhere that wasn't Bath and Body Works, they walk in and they're like, oh, this is $150 for this little like one drop of it that lasts not at all. And it was shocking to me. I was like, what on earth are you? Go get the $3 bottle like that everybody else gets. But no, the, the good stuff costs money, right? So this would blow that out of the water. This would have been super expensive ointment she was using. And she took a moment and washed Jesus' feet and dried his feet with her hair. And now if we compared this to something to kind of put it into terms that we would understand it better, it would be similar to when you, as an act of service, take a coat or a hat for guests coming into your house. You're serving guests coming into your house. And for them back then, normally they'd have a servant do it, someone lowly, because it was kind of a lowly job. But Mary was taking a moment here to serve and worship the Lord. Despite objections from others, She wanted to serve and worship Jesus because Mary is one of the few people in this whole passage today that gets it. And you'll say, okay, well, what is it? Well, as we continue on, we'll see Mary just gets who Jesus truly is. And as we continue on and where we'll pick up reading, we see the triumphal entry of Christ starting in verse 12. And this is an amazing account because it's in all four of the Gospels. You can read about it in all four, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And starting in verse 12, that's where we'll read today. The Bible says, On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they had heard that Jesus was coming to to Jerusalem, took the branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And as the crowds begin to gather in Jerusalem, they're coming for Um, uh, the Passover that they're celebrating, and it's estimated that there could have been even close to two and a half million people in Jerusalem at the time. So there's a lot of people here, and then they hear Jesus is there. So there's a big crowd. They're drawn out there. There's a crowd from all over the world. Later on in the passage, we'll see even from people from as far as Greece have come that we know about. So there's a lot of people And as we've been studying in John, we see that just about everywhere Jesus has been, there's been a big crowd, right? He fed 5,000. He had people just all the time, everything he was doing, he was drawing a big crowd. So now there's around two and a half million people in Jerusalem, and there are a lot of them coming to see him. And throughout this passage today, we're going to see Jesus fulfill many prophecies where the prophets in the Old Testament said, hey, the Messiah is going to come and do this so that the Jews knew who the Messiah was. And one of the first ones we see here is it tells them that the Messiah is going to enter into Jerusalem riding a donkey. 
And now the, the, the Israelites had this expectation here because they were under Roman authority and oppression. They thought that the Messiah was going to come save them from Rome, going to get rid of the Roman dictatorship and free them. That was their expectation of the Messiah. And for them, they, they missed the point. Jesus didn't come to free them from Roman rule, but from sin's rule in their life. Jesus came to bring them redemption and salvation, and the Israelites were hoping he was going to free them from Roman rule. And that wasn't the plan when Jesus came here. But unfortunately, as they missed the point, what they think of Jesus is going to come. They begin to, as he rides into town on a donkey, they lay their coats down in the streets. They cut down palm branches, and they're waving them in the air as he comes in like a parade, shouting, Hosanna, which literally gives us the idea of bring us deliverance from Rome is who they're expecting it. So this is like a parade of a a victorious king marching back into a city after battle, or perhaps their uh, victorious king getting ready to go save them. They're saying, bring us deliverance, save us from Rome. The problem was they, again, missed the point. Uh, Look at verses 17 and 18 and what the Bible says. It says, so the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. For this reason, also the people went and met him, because they heard that he had performed this sign. They heard what he did with Lazarus, so they're coming to seek. They're like, if this guy can raise a dead person, surely he can get rid of Rome, right? He can free us from Roman rule. The problem is, again, they're looking for physical deliverance. They're looking for freedom, but they're not looking for spiritual deliverance. In, in the Gospel of Matthew, it even shares in Matthew 21.10 that as they're cheering Jesus coming in saying, Hosanna, the king is coming, some of them begin to look around and say, who is this guy? They don't even realize who he is, right? They're getting all excited and, yeah, he's going to save us. And, hey, wait, who is that guy we're cheering for? Have you ever been caught up into the frenzy of a crowd like that? I think of hockey. I went to a hockey game last night, the walleye game, and we're guys are going again today. And I know nothing about hockey, like except they skate and shoot the puck, and when it goes in the goal, that's good if it's the right goal. Um, that's about what I know of hockey, right? Uh, but I love to get into hockey because it's great. You know, when the referees make a call and we're all booing them, I'm the first one to stand up and do it. When they do something good, I'll cheer for it. I don't know what it is. I don't know what they called. I have no idea. But I will get in with the crowd and, yeah, or boo, no. I'm all in with the crowd at a hockey game, right? It's kind of similar to what's going on here. They have no idea who Jesus even is, half the crowd, but they're cheering for him. It's like when I cheer at a hockey game and, yeah, they did that good thing. I don't know what it is, but they did it. It's the same idea. You'd think these people would have a growing faith and relationship with God, but instead they've just been swept up in the frenzy of the crowd and missing the point. And you know, a great application for us is it's easy to get together in a big group at a Christian concert, at church on Sunday mornings, and worship together, right? But it gets so much harder when we leave the crowd and we're back at work on Monday to worship and share the gospel is more. And that's a a reoccurring theme that we'll see Jesus challenging people with in this passage. Well, as we continue along in verse 20, we see these people from Greece come. A group of Greeks comes to Jesus and his disciples ask him if they should let him come. If you look uh, in verse 20 and 21, I don't have it up here, but the Bible says, Now there was a certain Greeks among those who were going to worship at the feast. They came for Passover. 
And these therefore came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew Philip, and they came and told Jesus. They didn't know what to do, so one disciple went to another and said, Hey, what do we do with these guys? He's like, I don't know, let's go talk to Andrew over here. And Andrew's like, I guess we'll just go tell Jesus, right? They don't know what's going on. They don't know if they should even let these guys talk to Jesus. No, the Bible doesn't even tell us a lot about them. It just tells us where they're from. They're from Greece. But the point isn't who they are or really even why they're there. The point is that the news of Jesus is spread widespread. People are hearing about it in Greece. In the known world at the time, this was a long ways away. It's beginning to be widespread. And, and here they come to Jesus, and Jesus wants to share something important with them. Look at verses 25 and 26. Jesus says, He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So Jesus shares with them, after first the disciples weren't even sure if they should let them come to him, and he shares with them how they can have eternal life a relationship with him. Jesus shares the plan with them. He lets them know what's about to happen, what they can have. And Christ is sharing with them by losing their own life, not literally, but figuratively, giving their life up to serve Jesus, serve the Lord. They can have the gospel. And Jesus is sharing this with people that are listening, which there's more than just the Greeks here, but he's sharing it that it's open to all. This message, the reason why Jesus has came Again, a lot of the Israelites, the Jewish people, thought it was just for them, for their freedom from Rome. But God, Jesus here is saying, I'm bringing the gospel. I'm bringing freedom from sin for everyone. Freedom's being offered to every person. And again, this is that reoccurring theme we keep seeing here in this passage is commitment to follow Christ. Oftentimes, it can be easy for us to live like the Israelites here. Right? It can be easy for us to, to expect that Christ is going to do one thing for us because that's what we want. But in reality, God is working out his own plan in his own time, like what, Lazarus, what he did for Lazarus. And, you know, oftentimes the amazing thing is God wants to bring this free gift of the gospel to everyone. The question is whether we choose to follow it or not. And so many times here in John, Jesus is challenging those around him to take up this challenge and follow him and serve him, and they leave. Again and again, it happens. The question for us is, will we be apathetic and miss the true point, or will we take up the challenge and follow him? And Jesus, you know, continues on in the last verses of the chapter, 27 through 50, and he spends the next several verses talking about his impending death. He gives little bits and pieces about it here, and you can just see they're still not getting the point, right? And so he says, listen, he wants them to remember this is the last week of his life. He's still trying to get them to understand that, which it seems like they don't fully understand. And here he's sharing his last public address. Everything after John 12 from here on out is for his disciples specifically um, when, he, when he talks to them. But he talks about being troubled about what's to come. You can look in verses 27 through 30. He's troubled because he knows what he's physically going to go through. He knows what's coming with the death he's going to face on the cross, with the pain he's going to go through, the suffering he's going to face. And this teaches us an awesome thing about Jesus is that he knows what we go through here on earth. 
He reminds the disciples of that later in John 16, and we'll see that again. But he knows the pain and suffering and problems we go through. Uh, in in uh, Hebrews 4.15, the Bible says this as well, and it's a great truth for us to remember because it's encouraging. The Bible says, For we do not have a high priest, it's talking about Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Our high priest Jesus lived on earth here. He dealt with the trials, the pain that we go through. He was tempted and got through it without sinning. Jesus knows what we go through. And we'll see him tell the disciples this more later on in John. But Jesus is looking ahead and telling them about what he's going to face. He knows it. He knows the pain and torment and suffering he was going to go through. The crown of thorns on his head, the beatings, being whipped, uh, having a spear shoved through his side, dying a painful death to pay for my sin and your sin. He's offering redemption and love for us. He knows the pain he was going to go through, and he knew it would be worth it to save just one person. If it was just you or me, it would be worth it for him to have gone through all of this because he knows the end goal. In verses 32 through 36, Jesus mentions to them uh, the death that he's about to go through. Look at verses 32 and 33. Jesus says, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. It was prophesied he was going to die on the cross for our sins. He's going to fulfill that. But the people there listening are instantly like, Wait, no, Jesus. No, no, no. You don't know what you're talking about. I love that, right? They tell Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. God, you don't know what you're talking about. Clearly, Jesus didn't know what he's talking about. They're like, you can't die because how would you save us from Rome if you're dead? That's their thinking, which is kind of true. But Jesus is like, like, hey, look, I'm trying to save you, not from Rome. But if I don't die, I can't save you from your sins, which is a way bigger deal than the Romans, right? So Jesus is like, hey, they're missing it. They want Jesus to give them this temporary peace here on earth, get rid of the Romans, make them happy. But Jesus is like, no, I need to die on the cross to pay for your sins, to give you eternal peace. And Jesus, again, he, he challenges them, implores them, you've got to trust in me. Look at verses 36 and 37. Jesus says, while you have the light, that's Jesus himself, while I'm here, believe in the light so that you may become the sons of light. These things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid himself from them. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. Jesus says, guys, while I'm here, while you see the light, you've got to believe in it. You've got to trust in it. Jesus is like, guys, while I'm in front of you, doing miracles, raising Lazarus from dead, walking on water, feeding 5,000. He's doing all these miracles, healing people. Believe in it while you can see it. Trust me now. And the Bible says, even though he performed many signs right in front of their eyes, they didn't believe. And we often like to think that if, you know, I've heard people say, if just one more miracle was done, just one more person was healed, people would believe, right? Well, these people literally saw Jesus face to face. They saw the miracles he was working, and they didn't believe. Why? Well, the prophet Isaiah prophesied, many years before that this was going to happen. He prophesied in the next few verses here in John. John is relating back to these prophecies. And John, who wrote this a time later, is finally clicking and going, oh, 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 he's starting to get it now, right? After he's seen all of it. 
And some of these prophecies were saying, essentially, the Israelites, the Jews, were going to miss the point. They were going to have their eyes blinded, their hearts hardened. They weren't going to listen. They weren't going to follow God. They weren't going to believe what they were seeing. They didn't want to believe the truth. They didn't want to accept it. They didn't want to follow what Jesus was saying while they were here. And, you know, we never do that. We never have hard hearts or don't listen to someone like Jesus at all. And here's the kind of culmination of this passage. Jesus' main challenge comes out here in the last eight or so verses. And maybe you're sitting here today and going, okay, well, Jason, if I saw what they saw, I would definitely follow Jesus. I for sure would do that, or I, I do that all the time. Well, read verses 42 and 43 with me, because it's easy to look here and say, well, I don't understand why they wouldn't follow Jesus. How could they not? What the Bible says, nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Many of the people believed in him, even the rulers, the hires up, they believed in him. They knew he was true. They saw the miracles, right? You got to know he's got some supernatural power if he's raising people from the dead. Like, they saw it. They believed, but the Bible tells us the demons believe Jesus exists. That's not enough for salvation, new life in Jesus. They never confessed him. And Romans 10.9 says this, But if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. This essentially means their faith wasn't a life-changing, life-saving faith. It was just a, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe he's here, he exists. Clearly, if you saw him face-to-face, you believe he exists. They hadn't made a life-changing faith, though. They hadn't confessed that they would follow Jesus and serve him with their life. They They hadn't let their faith take over. And I mean, look, it's easy for us to look at this and go, well, how could they not do it, right? I look at that passage and go, how could you not believe Jesus? He's right there. He's doing all these big things. How could you not follow him? How could you not serve God? And the Bible says they were afraid of being cast out of the synagogue, excommunicated from their church, basically. They were afraid of what the others would do, what the Pharisees would do. They were loving man's approval more than God's. It's that verse right there that comes up again, 43. For they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. And to me, that is one of the most terrifying verses in the Bible. The thought of focusing on man's approval and not God's. And you know, maybe you're like me and you're kind of getting it, but you like a visual illustration. Anybody a visual learner like me? Great. So some of you, this will hopefully help. I like visuals, so I put together a visual illustration here. So I've got this, this vase. That vase illustrates our life. So you can say this is our lifespan, all the time you have to do things right. And then I've got these nice aquarium pebbles that I promised I won't spill too much all over the building. So you've got these kind of boring tan ones, right? They're They're just normal rocks. And these illustrate the normal things we have to do, the kind of boring, mundane things, but we have to do it, right? What's some of those? Work, cleaning the house, mowing the lawn, right? So you, you got to do those things. You got to do chores. You got to take care of the house. You got to go to work. Uh, you got to go to school. You know, just the normal things like that, right? And that consumes a lot of our time. 
But then there's some cool things we get to do, right? Because we care about other people's approval. So we got to have something to post on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, right? So uh, maybe you're like me, you like to go fishing and never catch anything. So that's part of it. We like to go do fun things. You know, maybe it's even working hard to get others' approval, you know, so we can buy the boat or the jet ski or get a promotion. And pretty soon, our life is just filled up with stuff, isn't it? It looks cool, though, doesn't it? Like, we got a lot of cool things. People are going to see our life and go, yeah, they do cool things. Look at all that. But we forgot about one thing. I got these golf balls. This illustrates God in our life, our relationship with God. And at this point, how we've organized our life, there's no room in there anymore, right? They can sit on top, but there's, there's no room. So I pose a challenge of, Let's think about this a different way. Let's empty our life out and restart here. So what if we focus on God first? Whether it's with our job, we say, God, I'm going to make you the central focus. Whether it's with our, you know, we can enjoy our, uh, God still wants us to enjoy life. And that one ran away. That's a free one. So we like to enjoy things still too, right? So maybe you like to enjoy fishing like me or events, but we can still enjoy it and honor God with it, right? So now our life is centrally focused on God. And look at this. We've still got room to mow the lawn, go to work. Those are good things. We should do that. We should work hard to what we do. We've still got room for all of that. And look at how much room we've still got left for all of these fun activities too. You've got to have a good time. But now, our life is focused around God. Our life is centered on Him. And it's a fun illustration. It looks cool when we're done, but we see a life focused on God's approval. And you see, for the people here, as Jesus ends this passage, He begins talking about the people here in this passage, how they can know God, and when you believe in, in, in the one who God sent, Jesus, you're believing in God. And this was a direct challenge as you read these verses to the Israelites, to the Jews, because they believed in God. They tell you that. We believe in God, but we don't believe Jesus is God. And Jesus looks at them right here and says, the last thing he tells people publicly, he says, okay, you don't believe in me, you don't believe in God because God sent me. It was a direct challenge to them. And they didn't like it too much. So they're essentially not believing what God told them. And their biggest reason for that, they cared more about what other people thought. The Pharisees, their co-workers, their friends, their family. They were willing to risk their spiritual life, their relationship with God because of what the religious leaders thought, because of what their neighbors thought, because of what their kids or boss or co-workers thought. And I'm here to challenge us today and say that no one's opinion matters unless it aligns with God's opinion. There's good opinions that matter, right? You should read your Bible. That's a good opinion if someone tells you that because that's God's opinion. You should go to church and serve God because that's God's opinion. But if their opinion doesn't line up with God's opinion, it's only going to lead to trouble. If we're more worried about what our boss thinks, if we're more worried about what our family thinks, our friends think, than what God thinks about our life, we're in trouble. Jesus offers salvation, freedom, redemption. Don't let man stand in the way of taking that from us. Listen, if you get nothing else today, get that verse right there. They love the approval of men rather than the approval of God and do the opposite of that. Focus on God's 
approval. And as we go to our takeaways, you'll say, okay, Jason, how do I, how do, I do that then? Well, if you're here and you haven't trusted in Christ as your Savior, that's your first step. If you haven't done that, you can do it today. You can come see me after, or you can simply pray a short prayer like this. And this prayer doesn't save you, but you can say, God, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive my sins and save my soul today. It's simply that believing that God raised Jesus and confessing that he's Lord of your life. And if you're more worried, though, about what man thinks about your life than what God thinks about it, we're in trouble. You know, we can't work to gain God's approval. We can't do good things to do that. It's simply accepting what Jesus did. The whole point he was trying to get them to understand was the only way you can gain God's approval is by accepting this free gift. Simply accepting salvation and the light that Jesus offers. If you're here and you have done that, don't focus on man's approval rather than God's. You know, there's good things to be said about making your boss happy. There's good things about working hard. The Bible talks about this. The Bible talks about being a good husband, a good dad, a good parent, a good kid, a good friend, a good coworker. It talks about all those things, but in context of our relationship with God. We do all of those because of our relationship with God, not we do all of those in spite of or to try to get a good relationship with God. Don't miss out on our relationship with God, though, by putting a focus on what humans' opinion is of our life. It's so easy to do about that and forget how God has commanded us to live our lives. Once we've accepted Christ, the good news is we can never lose that. It's a great fact that we saw a couple weeks ago. But God has said because we've done that, it should motivate us to serve him and to live life the way he's created it to be lived. The question is, are we doing that? Are we focused on serving him out of gratitude for what he's done? Or are we still worried about what someone might think about us because we're serving God? If you get nothing else, take those two with you today. If you haven't, trust in Christ. If you have, don't focus on other people's approval more than God. As I read this passage this week, that verse stuck out to me, 43, that they loved man's approval more than God's approval. And to me, that terrified me to think that at the end of their life, that's what's written about their relationship with God, that they cared more what man thought than God did. And I don't want that to be my life story or your life story either. Let's focus on making God's approval our goal of our lives. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll be dismissed in prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for bringing us all here this morning safely. Lord, I just ask that, I uh, just thank you again so much for what you've done for us, for, for sending your son to die on the cross for us. Lord, I ask that we'll take this challenge to heart, each and every one of us, and God will give our life solely for your approval, not worrying about the approval of those around us, Lord. In your name, amen.